Polestar appears to have had something of a falling out with car expert concerning the details of the grossly overpriced Polestar 3 fake Swedish SUV EV announcement recently. Fair dinkum, dudes. Like, I have seen two-year-old children mainlining Red Cordial and Semtex behaving in a more emotionally mature way. So... This is a pretty good example of how car makers actually comport themselves behind the scenes when they think the public isn't looking, so we might as well do that. And hey, it's a Friday. I'm John Kenogan from AutoExpert.com.au and I get new cars cheap. Australia-only website card. Now... According to a source at carexpert.com.au, there has been a full-on tantrum from Polestar regarding the information that Car Expert published, the reductio ad absurdum of which is, you broke our embargo. No, we didn't. We just ran with information you had already publicised by making it public on your website. How dare you do such a thing? Well, it's kind of our job. That's it. We're pulling our advertising revenue. I do love the smell of tantrum on a Friday. Olight's February full-on flashlight frenzy finishes Friday at midnight. Hashtag not its real name. Link in the description and pinned to the comments below. Big savings plus a code for 12% off after the sale. Just think of this interlude as a speed date with discounts on six Olight products in just 60 seconds. Here we go. The Warrior Mini 2, my favourite EDC torch. If you'd like to see why, click the card on screen and watch yesterday's video. The Javelot Mini, this thing is basically a belt-friendly searchlight. 1,000 lumens and a super tight beam with a throw of 600 metres. Seeker 3 Pro now, purpose-built for outdoor recreation. 4,200 lumens, plus a huge battery rubber grips and really solid ergonomics. The new Wyvern bike light, great for kids and general urban commuting. It's easy to fit, being basically a bayonet mount with a rubber strap, 300 lumens and super affordable. The GoTorch X now, perfect for hardcore cycle adventures. 2,000 lumens and a wide beam. GoPro mount compatible, a huge battery with toolless mounting, and it doubles as a USB power bank for your phone or GoPro. Finally, the new Exploit bag. If you're addicted to EDC, throw away that shoebox, dude, because this is a far more elegant solution. You can even fold it up and take all your EDC for a pleasant stroll in the bush. Nothing strange about that at all, is what we perhaps might tell ourselves. Links in the description, click for full details. I use my Warrior Mini 2 every day. It has been awesome and despite my best efforts, it simply refuses to die, which is why I have absolutely no problem recommending Olight to you. My reason for bringing you this story is not to trash talk Polestar, 
not that that wouldn't be fun, but mainly to show you the degree of leverage, of control that car makers expect to foist over the press. And that means to influence the reviews that you watch when you make this critical decision to dump a shit ton of cash on your next car. See, on my world, advertising revenue from car makers is irrelevant. And when you look from my world at car review world, you can see that advertising revenue is just the mother of all bad media incentives because it turns into a set of golden handcuffs for the publisher and the threat of withdrawing the advertising spend because you didn't like what was said or you didn't like the way they said it or you didn't like when they said it, that becomes the lash, right? And it is really serious for you there in review consumption land and for motoring journalists out here who are not scumbags generally but are trying to do the right thing and they are kind of stuck with their heads in a vice because every motoring journalist I know has a set of privately held and sotto voce occasionally among friends expressed views about particular car makers and particular products. And they make public statements about those same car makers and those same products. And those two sets of statements just, they don't align, right? Because if you're a journalist and you've got to feed your family and you've got to produce reviews, the lash is out. You're already working very hard to produce those things. And if you get a car maker offside, you end up stuck in this, in the meat in the sandwich part of this awful battle between the publisher and a senior executive at a car maker who is threatening to turn off the tap. And the publisher's thinking, well, it might just be easier to cut him loose. He's a problem, right? And what his problem is, is he told you the truth, right? And he didn't self-censor it enough to keep the car maker sweet. And I friggin' hate that. And that's why we're talking about this. I can tell you from bitter personal experience that this is not fun when you get raked over the coals like that because your job is on the line and that means you might not be able to pay your mortgage or feed the family and that's fairly fucking confronting, right? And this is the world we operate in. This is the world car reviewers operate in. It's nice to get on a plane, yeah. It's nice to sip the Verve Clico up the pointy end. It's nice to be a platinum frequent flyer. It's nice to be treated like a rock star on location. In fact, it's the perfect job if you hate your life. But there is this negative dark side to that, which is just that you got to toe the line and you got to not be too harsh in your criticism. And if you are, we'll, ta we'll start taking the perks. But if that doesn't work, then you'll be the meat in the sandwich, dude. That's how this works. In fact, I was at a retirement sort of do for a colleague who decided he'd had enough. And he was a journo and he became a senior executive at a car company. And there was a small group of motor and journalists around. And I had a conversation with one of them. We got the Terps, you know. And he blurts out, you know, it'd be great one day to just be able to say what you really think. And I'm going, yeah imagine what that feels like. Like it guts me that my unique selling proposition to the market is I tell you what I really think and if a car maker doesn't like it then fuck them. It shouldn't be this way but it emphatically is. Now I want to put Polestar in context for you because it's a very new brand and it makes statements about itself but you deserve a little bit more objective reality than that, surely, if you are thinking about buying one. So Polestar is 
absolutely Chinese. The Zhejiang Geely Holding Company owns Polestar via Volvo. They own Volvo. Polestar is a Volvo brand. So, yeah, they've got a head office in Sweden, but they're about as authentically Swedish today as special frigging fried rice, okay? That's just how it is. And if you want to confirm this, just go to ZGH for Zhejiang Geely Holding Company dot com, ZGH dot com, click on our brands and then scroll down to Volvo and click on that, you'll see Polestar. So it is a Chinese brand and it's been that way for about 10 years. Volvo has been owned by the Chinese since Ford cut it loose in the aftermath of the GFC. And I don't understand Polestar uh, anyway, because isn't Volvo going fully electric anyway? And then if that is the case, why do we need Polestar? It just seems like an irrelevance to me. And speaking of irrelevance, Polestar is nowhere commercially in Australia. It's just nowhere. They sold 164 cars in Australia last month. So on track, if that's the right word, for Duos thousand this year. In fact, BYD sold a hundred more cars than Polestar last month. And they're not attempting to cover up being authentically Chinese, let's not forget. So there's that. Polestar has a guest experience salon, a couple of doors down from Salmonella Central in the bowels of the mighty chatty shopping centre. Who doesn't want to go there? And every other man I know. It just, is that an alternative to the dealership? Is that how we're going to buy cars in future at a shopping mall? Because I don't want to live in that future, just saying. Polestar's most salient cultural comment to date in Australia concerns the fitting of the installation of a diesel generator at the bumfuck roadhouse on the Nullarbor Plain, right? The purpose of this generator is to burn recycled chip fat to power up an EV recharger so that some few number of EV users can get all the way across the Nullarbor. Like, and okay, if you want to do that, like, I haven't got a problem with that. The problem I've got is that Polestar actually said that this was an example of carbon neutrality, despite the fact that a diesel generator is manufactured in a place like China or Taiwan, and it comes here on a ship burning hydrocarbons, and then it gets to where it's going on a truck burning hydrocarbons, and then it is installed by machines burning hydrocarbons, and then it burns recycled chip fat. Now, recycled chip fat, chip fat is a manufactured industrial product. You have to grow rapeseed to produce canola oil, and then you have to put it through several heating cycles to make the chips until it becomes worn out, and then you can burn it in your generator. So producing the seed, growing the seed, sowing the friggin' seed, harvesting the seed, transporting it to the factory, converting the seed into canola oil, putting it in plastic bottles made of hydrocarbons, transporting it around the nation, 
All of these things have a huge hydrocarbon energy component embodied in them. It is a denial of reason to refer to this process as carbon neutral, like props to them for burning a waste product instead of diesel. I get that. Maybe that makes sense. Carbon neutral? Not so much, right? Plus, of course, this process doesn't scale, does it? There is not sufficient chip fat in the whole nation to recycle to make the slightest bit of difference to our carbon footprint. It's all just fluff. This is the level of competency we're talking about here, organisationally. And let me be perfectly clear, I make absolutely no comment about individuals. Sure, there are individuals at Polestar and at Polestar in Australia, but really they're not acting for themselves, they're acting at the behest of this multinational corporation. And my comment is just about the behaviour of the multinational corporation of which Polestar Australia is part. I'm sure the individuals are great. Like, if they invited me out to lunch, I'd pay them the biggest compliment of all time by not attending. Last week on Wednesday, here's how this latest tantrum occurred, right? Polestar sends out a media alert to its tame, domesticated car reviewers, i.e. not me, but I got it after the fact. So what they said was, quote, Please find attached the drafted Polestar 3 release, which I've been trying to get to you all day in advance of tomorrow morning when the embargo was due to break. It hasn't been approved by legal, goodness me, but in the interest of time, I've decided to share it with you all as trusted colleagues. Hopefully it gets, it helps with preparation despite the holdup. Polestar 3 has gone live on our website. <laughs> so you'll be able to find information here, link, Let's aim for an embargo time of 10.30am tomorrow, Thursday the 4th of February. So, one, this seems functionally insane. This proposition is functionally insane in the media domain, right? Making the information public, but then gagging the press. Like it's published on the website, then you're going to gag the press. How exactly does that work? Like... Here's embargoes for dummies, okay? If you are a political journalist and you get an alert from the Prime Minister's press secretary that he's going to make an announcement tomorrow at midday, then they'll probably send the whole speech that Mr Albanese is going to deliver. And they'll probably make the embargo 12.30 because what they want is no one jumping the gun. They want the PM to make this announcement, to talk for 10 or 15 minutes, to do some Q&A, and they give you in the media the full transcript of the speech and edited highlights of the policy that's being announced so that you can write 90% of your story and have it ready. And then you sit through the Q&A and you find a couple of Qs and a couple of As that might be good for insertion into your 90% of written story. And then you've got a 100% complete story. And at 12.30, once the PM's made his announcement, you press publish and amplify the message. That's how the embargo works. But if it leaks early, if you, the PM's press secretary, leak it early or the documents get left on the bus, I don't know. But if it's published or leaked for some other reason, then all bets are off. And I'd suggest in this case, 
Polestar has leaked the information by publicising it ahead of the press embargo. Like, that is insane. I couldn't write that in some satirical scene for some, you know, episode of Utopia because it's not realistic enough. <sighs> Embargoes, which I've been subjected to over and over again throughout my career, they don't serve any other freaking purpose. Anyway, the Polestar 3, the whole issue that this tantrum orbits around, right? The Polestar 3. Let's look at that because I'd suggest that it is an irrelevant embarrassment. It's both of those things, dude. Irrelevant and embarrassing. I just priced one up using Polestar's configurator. $172,000. That's actually $172,752.33, but who's counting? 33. Really? Couldn't we just make it 173 round or 172. It's a ridiculously excessive drain on the Earth's resources and it's designed mainly to appease a rich, green, compulsive masturbator. What other conclusion is there? It's guaranteed... I ticked the guaranteed future value box. Like, I ticked every box you could and still get it to guarantee the future value. So, have a guess. 173-ish grand for the vehicle today. And I'm selecting the finance option that guarantees my future value to protect my investment. Have a guess. I'm paying a premium for this, let's not forget. So, have a guess what the guaranteed future value is on the configurator. It's less than 60 grand. So that means in four years time, I'm gonna burn $110,000 plus. And that's the best they can do to abrogate this depreciation disaster. Give me a break. So you're gonna bleed almost 30 grand a year, right? All over the floor for four years. And that's using the finance plan that's designed, contrived, to protect the value of your asset. 3144 bucks a month for the payments, plus a lazy, let's call it about, what is it, 2200 bucks a month or something in depreciation for a total of nearly five and a half a month, just for the pleasure of seeing that irrelevant shitbox in your driveway. Like, come on, where do I sign, dude? They say in the official material that the vehicle is impressively equipped. So it would want to be, I think you'd agree, for the price, right? Mats and mud flaps are not standard. So I made a list of all of the things which I would buy if I had a spare 170 grand just sitting there, okay? I made it in my head because if I'd made it in reality, I would have exhausted all of the ink in all of the pens on earth before the list got down to Polestar 3, protect my asset, you know, future value protection plan. You've got to be kidding me. So 
This is the kind of vehicle we're talking about, that this tantrum orbits, okay? And this information, which was already publicly available at the time Car Expert published it, this information comes through at 5.16pm on a Wednesday. I've seen the email. In fact, I've got the email when it comes through. And they're requesting our friends in the press honour an embargo, stay gagged, until 10.30am the following day, okay? So it's only for 17 hours, and for half of that intervening time, most of the population is going to be asleep, like the ACCC, and those frigging upstarts at Car Expert decide to run with only the public information which Polestar has already published on its website. Like, they've eliminated the masturbatory quotes and whatever else is best spoke to the release, and they've just quoted the website. <sighs> I'm a shot. I'm actually assured by one of the upstarts, whom I trust over there at Car Expert, that this whole thing rapidly, hilariously devolves into bilateral fuck yous at dawn. Okay, and Polestar is sort of bravely declaring it's going to pull its ads, while Car Expert maturely retorts. Okay then, we never liked your money anyway, kind of thing. My contact at Car Expert, who I'm tipping his nose was reasonably out of joint about this whole thing, alleged to me in writing, quote, the following morning we received an email from a senior executive who's kind of irrelevant but operating for this multinational uh, company, he's on the clock, telling us that they had stopped spending with us because of Editorial misconduct. Hold that thought. Editorial misconduct. It was at this time that we shot back a note to him telling him to... I'm not going to share that bit with you. It's an improbable anatomical insertion in any case. <coughs> that you'd agree. And that we wouldn't be dealing with them any longer. We have the luxury of earning enough money from other parts of our business and so media spend is less relevant to us than it ever has been before. Goodness me. There might be light at the end of the tunnel after all. It seems to me, right, that Polestar broke its own embargo. What other conclusion is there? If you release the absurd pricing and the tech specs and all of this other detail early, is, is it not you who have broken your own embargo? And therefore, alleging the editorial misconduct thing, like, how can that be an example of editorial misconduct? The information's already public. It can't be an example of editorial misconduct to quote something that is publicly published on not just a website, but the website of the company whom this issue orbits. Come on. I'm not seeing editorial misconduct. And I love throwing car expert under the bus. I really love it. And just to prove that... Take this, okay, this perfect quote from Anthony Crawford, the co-founder and senior road tester over there at Car Expert, from his brilliantly, brilliantly engaging 2023 Toyota GR86 GTS review. <laughs> this truly is magnificent. Quote, as press launches go, you don't always get enough wheel time or even adequate time to discover a car's various nuisances that often only surface in daily driver mode that might end, might end up, actually tipping you one way or the other 
when all things are considered. Mm. I've laid awake wondering what that actually means. Like, it's either brilliant or it's just gibberish. I can't decide. Discovering a car's various nuisances. I have to take issue with that, though, because I've been to the odd vehicle launch over the years and the various nuisances are all there. You've got the sales nuisance and the PR nuisance, the marketing nuisance, the product nuisance. You've even got the chief executive nuisance. Like all the nuisances under the one roof. It's a nuisance-rich environment, Anthony. Come on. Now that particular quote has been up for more than a month. Just saying. Wheels on the bus. Go round and round, round and round, etc. Don't they? On this Polestar 3 matter, however, I'd suggest that the icing on the cake is that even if you act now, like you, if you act right now and put a thousand bucks down, you're not going to see any Polestar 3 for at least a year, dude. So, is 17 hours really the hill upon which we want to live and die? Is it worth going to battle over this? Or is it more like time for a ceasefire? Anyway. This is the level of ambient control that car makers seek to exert on the press. And it is absolutely something for you to consider if you are consuming reviews, especially if it's not just road test porn that you're watching. It's, it's for a reason. And the reason is you've got a large sum of cash ready to drop on this car or that car or this car. And you want to know the relative strengths and the weaknesses, because it's always the and the weaknesses that get self-censored out when the journo is shit scared of upsetting the car maker because they're going to behave like Polestar when someone goes off 17 hours early with mitigating circumstances being that they've already broken their own friggin' embargo. Come on. So just think about that next time you watch a review. Listen very hard for what's not being criticised would be my view. Anyway, I'm sure this was unpleasant for all the parties concerned. Nobody really likes being... Well, not nobody. I don't mind it. Actually, being in a bit of a conflict. Okay. You want to go there? Open the door. I'll step through. But anyway, here we all are. I think you could agree that at the very least, we're all marginally better entertained right now on a perfectly serviceable Friday evening. And that's nice.